was wrong. <laughs> it's like, it's just... <laughs> We are live here on Renters Radio. Happy Martin Luther King Day, everyone. I'm Lauren Pespiza. I'm sitting here with my usual co-host. Evan George. Hello, hello. And we have a special guest in studio today. Um, basically a neighbor yeah. from Austin Brighton, <laughs> um, running for a pretty big seat. Uh, please welcome Jordan Meehan, running for state rep. Thank you for uh, having me on today. Thank you for coming in. Uh, we have a lot to talk about. I know you've uh, already done your first podcast before. I know. <laughs> um, so you didn't hear it here, hear it here first, folks. But you recently dropped your housing plan last I week. I did. So I want to get right into it, but we've got a few things to get to first. Yes. Um, so we do have the housing uh, plan right here. I was incredibly impressed at like how. Uh, Thorough it was, and you brought up stuff that, like Lauren and I haven't talked about on the show, so we're really excited to. But we do have a quick breaking news alert. We don't have a soundboard yet, but uh, da-na-na, da-na-na, <laughs> the ESPN stupid thing. Um, breaking news. And I'm sorry breaking to news. actually make it light for something that is somewhat serious. Um, so there is an Iranian student who's currently being held right now, and I think scheduled for deportation at Terminal E in Boston's Logan Airport. Um, he has a student visa, and he is being detained. People are right now organizing and driving and protesting right outside of Terminal E at Logan Airport. So if you can, if you're listening to this, quickly hop in a car, bus, Uber, head over there, and you're going to start to see people uh, rallying. It'll uh, The lawyers are um, uh, requesting people do this to put uh, more pressure to release him. So again, quick uh, breaking news update. If you can, head to Terminal E in um, Logan Airport and follow along on Twitter. It's going to be hard for us to do updates while we're on air, but just uh, start looking around. I'm sure if you're on left Twitter in Boston, you'll see. So uh, solidarity and support that. And also, before we go into uh, the interview with Jordan, we do want to recognize the Mount Luther King there. So I, at first, was thinking about what clips we should maybe share. And then the one part of me that I'm just like, oh, I'm going to share the ones that prove he was a socialist. <laughs> and I'm just like, ah, that's a little bit um, trying to like take ownership of someone. But however, he was a great housing advocate. And Herb, do you have the, uh, the clip? Yeah. Um, I think starting at two minutes. administration which supported the bill said this has no chance the other stuff is okay but this will kill any politician that touches it well i just could not live beside them i don't feel that they should be oppressed but i moved here because it was a white community 
I have uh, two daughters and two sons. And if there's too many colored people around here, I definitely will get out. I think that well, the property values will immediately go down if uh, they are allowed to move in here in any numbers. Okay, I just want to let people hear that audio. Um, can you jump to the next segment of the clip? And while you do that, so I didn't know that the Fair Housing Act was passed literally like five days or six days after his death. And it was really his death and the rioting that happened afterwards, which made it so the Fair Housing Act passed. And I know, and I tried to find a clip with Martin Luther King kind of giving, you know, one of his iconic speeches about housing. I couldn't find the actual audio of this. But if you just look up... Um, his protest and his march in Chicago. He was talking about how the violence that he faced in Chicago, just going through the white suburbs, was worse than anything he experienced in like Alabama or Mississippi. And uh, Herb, you had that next part? Yeah, let's play that for a little bit. And the death of Martin Luther King is a tragic thing, but no legislation should be passed as a memorial to anyone. In spite of the riots, I am going to support this legislation with all the vigor that I possess. The laws that we pass up here are for all time. The Martin Luther Kings come and go. The public reaction to this horror gave the sensible members of the committee a compelling argument that the House Rules Committee had to report that bill out. And I think that's that's how we got our bill. They just didn't dare bottle it up any longer. And I have a dream that one day Negroes will be able to buy a house anywhere that their money will carry them. At long last this afternoon, fair housing for all is now a part of the American way of life. Democracy's work. All right, and yeah, and in 1967, America solved housing, and we no longer have any issues. Right, right. Fair, it's, all housing is now fair. Uh, redlining is no longer a thing. Yeah, and... I can go. <laughs> yeah. Jordan, thank you for your time today. And we solved it. All politicians can stay where you are. You will not be primaried. Um, but no, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King was an incredible advocate for housing. Uh, one of his uh, speeches was, you know, we are here today because we are tired. We are tired of paying more for less. We are tired of living in rat-infested slums. We are tired of having to pay more to live in four-room apartments while uh, whites in some areas get to pay less and live for more. And that is still a sentiment that is still very much true today. And obviously housing is a huge part of your campaign. Did you want to uh, go right into housing first, Lana? Yeah, I do want to go right into housing. Though that was actually a really, really good uh, clip. I appreciate it. It was also like intense background music. Yeah, the, the, um, I'll try to drop it in the uh, chat so people can watch it. It's only like a seven to eight minute video, but that was my first time when I was trying to find a video of him speaking. I was yeah. like, oh yeah, the Fair Housing Act. That was like one week afterwards. Mm -hmm. And it was because of people who took to the streets in the aftermath of that assassination. The FBI definitely played a role in it, but that's okay. Yeah. Um, but housing in Boston. So housing, <laughs> we're all paying. Jump our, right in. We're all we're all paying a hell of a lot to live in our bedroom apartments. Yep. Yeah, too much or too little. Whether you're white, black, if you live in the, you know, it, it might be a little harder if you're a minority, but it's still pretty hard if you're a minimum wage earner or 
even uh, above what minimum wage earner. Um, so you're running, so let's start from the beginning. Um, a little background. Um, you're running for the Suffolk 17th? Yep, 17th Suffolk District. It's okay. about half of Austin Brighton. Yeah, and um, and it's divided strangely. Very strangely. So. I can't vote for you. I'm unfortunately. Sorry. You, can, you can come in that course. Yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> Our district is um, a lot of Alston Village to Brighton Center, a little bit of Lower Alston, the Comap Corridor, and then it's kind of surrounded by the 18th. Very right. Weird. Yeah, exactly. Um, And so you're running against Honan, Kevin Honan, chairman uh -huh. of the Housing Committee. Yep, House Chair of the Joint Committee on Housing. Awesome. Um, And we'll get into your... uh. 10-point housing plan that you released, <laughs> which was amazing. Um, but first, let's start with a little bit of background about like where you come from, mm -hmm. how you got into this, just like yeah. sort of the history. Yeah, so I've been in Austin Brighton for about five and a half years now. Uh, I came back after college. I went to GW down in D.C., uh, originally from Malden at the uh, north end of the Orange Line. Um, lived in New Hampshire nice. for a while growing up. Um, came back, went to law school at Suffolk, and uh, yeah. So you're a lawyer? I am a lawyer by education. I don't practice explicitly, but uh, I could. Did you take the bar exam? And I that? did. Took it and passed it. One right. time. Shout out. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Happy that that's all past tense. Well done. <laughs> um, so you're an attorney or a licensed attorney. And um, what have you been working on before this? Because you have some experience with policy. Yeah. Um, so in terms of my job or my campaign political experience, <laughs> I do so much. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so See you everywhere. <laughs> I'm exhausted. I have six shows so after this. I'm so energized. <laughs> uh, so for my day-to-day -day work, I work for the Commission on LGBTQ Youth as their policy coordinator. So my day job is in state policy around um, mostly homelessness, juvenile justice, education, um, and interacting with about 18 state agencies and entities uh, to help further better the lives of queer youth statewide. Right. Which um, are affected by homelessness. Yes. Disproportionately. Yep. So um, that's awesome. Uh, so you've had some experience working with that. Um, yeah. And, and on the and, campaign policy side, um, done a fair amount of campaigns. Yeah. <laughs> Did a lot of volunteering on the Anna Presses campaign in 2018. Nice. Right after the bar exam, actually. Nice. So I took a few weeks off, uh, came back, knocked a ton of doors. Um, <laughs> Jumped on Warren's reelect as a volunteer. Um, worked on Brandon Bowser's campaign for city council in 2019. Um, Alejandro St. and Michelle Luz. Um, so I'm staying busy. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and um, I mean, oh, man, I could derail this whole thing into Ayanna Presley right now, but I'm not gonna. I love Please her. Don't. Please don't. I love her so much. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, but uh, so let's get into the. So I was going through your housing uh, plan. You know, one of the first thing that comes up is statewide rent control, mm -hmm. which we have talked about on the show ad. Ad nauseum. I don't want to say ad nauseum because well, I mean, like, I'm not. Sick we're of gonna it yet. we're gonna talk about it. It's at, like kind of yeah. Sick of I'll I'll never get sick of rent control <laughs> until we can do it. Until we have it. We'll be doing the show, <laughs> and then maybe I'll do another show about an entirely different thing. I don't know, but let's go into the housing bill of rights. Sure. So one of the first pieces of it was right to accessible and quality mm -hmm. housing. Yeah, uh, I think it's a real statement of values that everyone has the right to affordable, safe, dignified, and accessible housing. Um, I think that one kind of speaks for itself. Yeah, but your landlord should be fixing things. Right, If you're, especially if you have um, different accessibility needs during the term of your lease, your landlord should be making your apartment accessible to your needs. I don't think anyone should... 
So the whole have an accessible house. So the hole in my porch should get fixed. Well, yeah, especially if like you end up um if you end up with a disability or of some sort, um, okay, and you need accommodations like handbars in the bathroom or something. Oh, really yeah, that should be on top of that. Then shouldn't this cost shouldn't be passed to you? Right. Okay. Yeah, that's actually that makes sense. Um. So, uh, actually, one of the other things I wanted to talk about, especially, was going to just cause eviction, mm -hmm. because I didn't actually know this was, um, that this was a no-fault eviction mm -hmm. was such a big issue. Mm -hmm. um, so, what, it, what does it mean to, uh, are you trying to get rid of the idea of no-fault eviction? Yes. Uh, no-fault eviction is especially pernicious. Um, yeah. And I think we can get more into that when we talk about eviction ceiling. Yes. Um, especially. Um, but imagine you're in the middle of your lease and your landlord wants to move into your unit that they own. Right. Um, they can evict you for that. Right. And just move in. You didn't do anything wrong. You didn't break your lease. You're fine. But you can still be served an eviction notice and evicted from your housing for no fault. And this can happen as well if they happen to get an offer from a developer to sell the property for mm -hmm. a lot more money, um, which has happened countless times yep. in Austin Brighton. So... Um, so no fault eviction. Um, yeah, it's, it's a massive problem, not only in Boston, but statewide. Uh, I think in 2016, we had, was it 17,000 evictions in Massachusetts, I believe? That's a lot. There was a, there was a rate of about wow. 43 a day. That's insane. Uh, right now, looking at uh, your plants, and oh, wait, you just said Boston, right? Uh, I think statewide was okay. about 17,000 evictions. So in, right now, in we got uh, 2016, there were... Um, over 37,000 eviction filings mm -hmm. in Massachusetts, resulting in almost 16,000 mm -hmm. evictions. There you go. You know your numbers. Of course, I'm reading off your sheet. So I'm just... <laughs> yep. <laughs> I like to do my homework. Yeah. Um, but actually, so um, going into now the Just Cause Eviction, one of the big things that Lauren and I were excited about with your plan, and kind of new, um, at least for myself uh, specifically, mm -hmm. was the eviction ceiling. The eviction mm -hmm. ceiling. Can you go into that? Yeah, yeah, that we're excited about that. Of course. Uh, so all eviction records are public, publicly searchable through uh, this website called Mass Courts. Mm -hmm. um, so even if you were evicted for cause or for no faults, like we just talked about, that data, that record, that case is available. You can see it. A landlord can see it. The tenant screening agency can see it. Um, and that leads to a lot of abuse and a lot of misinformation. Um, there's a, there's a lot to break down. Um, so so mass courts. Um, this is also how you look up somebody's quarry, I believe or criminal so, yeah. record. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's how you can look up somebody's criminal mm -hmm. record. Um, so it's basically like a permanent eviction record mm -hmm. that is just stored there. So if you're applying for an apartment, it seems, um, your name will just pop up even if you were evicted for no for fault. no cause. Yep, and you can be denied. Yep. Um, a lot of issues that we're seeing around that. Um, there was a bulky report from the Mass Law uh, Reform Institute mm -hmm. um, that helped inform this policy uh, that showed a lot of common abuses and instances around landlords just denying someone outright for any eviction filing, be it for cause or for no cause. Um, a lot of similar names of people that may not have actually been the person evicted. Oh, God. Um, that may either get screened out from a landlord or from a third party <laughs> tenant screening service. Um, a lot of names of children are on that those was, records. That was appalling. That stay, it's disgusting. Yeah. Um, and those records currently can't be sealed. So if you have a no-fault eviction, like we talked about, it's not sealable at the moment. So that can just be there, you know, for years and years and years, impacting your housing for years and years and years. 
and there's not much you can really do about and, it. And that's what's something that shocked me because um, your criminal records mm-hmm. can be sealed after right. a certain amount of time. There is a process for that. It's not necessarily the best process. It might be somewhat expensive. But there is the process. There is a process in place, and there just isn't any of that mm-hmm. currently for no-fault eviction. Mm-hmm. I would call them victims. Um, whose names are in these databases and they're being denied housing because Mm -hmm. their name pops up on a search tool. And not only that, but you're seeing a lot of landlords use the threat of that public database to, you know, corral tenants into not raising a fuss over inadequate housing. So they'll say, uh, you know, don't complain about this or I'll, you'll have an eviction filing on your record, which is abusive. This it's a massive go, power imbalance. This will go down on your permanent record. Essentially, yeah. <laughs> it goes back to like when you're in grade school and the teacher's saying, oh, there's a file, but mm-hmm. in this case, there's literally a file. Literally. It will be used to like uh, mm-hmm. just decrease the quality of your life. So mm-hmm. would this proposal make it so that data is not publicly available? Would this put caps on it? Would this like let you have some sort of like a debt, debt forgiveness in terms of like no longer searchable. Can you explain like what this is? Yeah, so there is a bill right now in the state house that I pulled the info from to build on this plan for specific policy points called the Homes Act. Um, so it would seal all pending cases. So if you have an active case that's, you know, being litigated or tried, that wouldn't show up. Um, it would seal all no-fault evictions, and it would allow a process to seal uh, other four-cause evictions after, I think, three years. Okay. And it would ban children's names or in any names of someone not in a contractual relationship with a landlord from appearing on that filing, um, and a few other. Probably you know, if you got misidentified or something. Right. Like you said Another thing, like you see on these cases, that like the landlord's arguments against the tenant are part of that public-facing database, but the tenant's uh, counter arguments <sighs> and defenses are not. Oh, geez. Which is again a huge power imbalance. Yeah. And looking just in terms of like uh, data collection, mm-hmm. because it seems like the status quo right now, as you were just saying, is we can go on and we can find the people who were evicted. Mm-hmm. How well do we keep records of the landlords that are <laughs> causing all these problems? That are how many evictions that they've distributed? Like, is that data that's easily available to us, the public? I don't believe so. Off yeah. the top of my head, I don't think it is. Um, no. So another part of my plan is a right to information. Uh, on your rights and on your landlord. Um, If anyone has ever, like, rented an Airbnb or taken an Uber, you can get a rating and information on an Airbnb host or an Uber driver. You can't really get detailed information that you would need on a landlord as easily as you should be able to. Mm -hmm. Not a perfect analog, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like there's unsafe Airbnb hosts and unsafe Uber drivers, (laughs) you know, just as much. Um, it's hard to know, especially in given the circumstances, mm-hmm. um, right now, but it, we would need more transparency for landlords mm-hmm. and more privacy for tenants. Is right. What you're saying. Right. Again, correcting that power imbalance. Yeah, that's, that's good. Um, and I haven't seen that come up a lot. So that impressed me. Um, uh, one of the other things, uh, one of the next things, oh, right to counsel. We've mm-hmm. talked about that plenty of times on the show, which is that evict- uh, tenants should have a right to. Yeah, a right to counsel if you're a low-income tenant. Um, I think the data that I found was 90% of landlords um, have a lawyer in the, these proceedings that about 10% of tenants do, which leads to an overwhelming amount of tenants losing their cases and being evicted. Right. Um, New York, San Fran, and I believe there's another one. I would just say New Jersey, because mm-hmm. it seems like they're aligned with New York. Yeah. 
they all. I might be wrong. I might be wrong. But New York and San Francisco recently passed right to council, and you're seeing, uh, I think, 84% in New York over the case of a year of tenants who uh, had eviction filings against them. They stayed in their homes Good. because they had access to council. So it's about you know stabilizing neighborhoods, keeping tenants safe and housed. Right, and right now the only people doing that uh, are like nonprofits. Right, and they have a huge dearth of you know available resources. Right, and um, I'm sure there's tons of lawyers who'd be able to help and mm -hmm. happy to help with it. Yeah, Newark actually, um, as part of their right to counsel program, they established um, an office of legal, an office of tenant legal services, um, which I think is in my plan. Also, we yep. should scale up you know, help correct that imbalance of resources that you have with a lot of um, nonprofits and legal aid services. Right. And, you know, uh, I think that a lot of times people don't know their rights. Yeah. So that should be included in your lease. I don't think <laughs> yeah. that's anything saying anything radical. Yeah, right. like you should know your legal rights. If you go to yeah. the attorney general's website, um, they have a pretty comprehensive page on landlord tenant rights. Um, that if you don't know where to look, though, you're right. not going to find that. Right. Or if there's some kind of court summons and mm -hmm. you don't have someone to represent you you're not entitled to it because it's not a criminal charge right. and what do you do i guess you just show up on your own and and the good luck yeah i mean it can, that can work sometimes i don't know i've seen that one. so like, like, I, i've gone through like the mass website on like here are your rights like your mm -hmm. renter's rights and oh you can add, did you know that you can actually like withhold payment on your rent mm -hmm. but then in order to do that through a legal process it's so like onerous that like I'm very confident I would never be able to figure it out. Right. It's right. like you'll then have to assess the market value, like minus the it, just like people can't do that. Right. So like, it's not enough just to have it on like a file saying you have this. If it, it like any uh, like reasonable person is not going to be able to do it, it's way right. too intensive. Exactly. So time I, I, and knowledge intensive. Yes. So like for me, it's not just making people more aware of what your rights are, but creating a much easier pipeline mm -hmm. of here's how you can enforce those right. rights. And if it's going to go on their permanent record. They might as well have a right to counsel. Right. Like <laughs> bottom line. <laughs> yeah. Just like a, you know, um, I don't want to say just like a criminal charge because mm -hmm. it's not, and it's not like that. But, but it's often held against them. As yes, though it was one. It affects their life mm -hmm. in that way, and um, you know, uh, I I think they should have just as much uh, help as anyone else. Um, one of the next things was on the on the list. We're getting through. Good pace. Freedom from unjust fees. Yeah. So um, when we built this housing policy out, we had a renter's roundtable event with community members just to get their input, to hear from them, hear their stories, um, and help with them imagine what we would think is a just housing policy, what that would look like, um, free from these barriers. And something that people brought up that I hadn't really considered when I was writing this draft was um, all these fees, like oh, broker's yeah. fees, um, security deposits. A lot of it is just so much of... There's so many people end up having to pay four months rent just to move. Yeah. Which I don't, it's, it's crazy. It's insane. Yeah. No, I mean, I usually pay three. Yeah. I've usually paid three with the security deposit that I may or may not get back mm -hmm. depending how much I want to fight the landlord for right. it. Um, so, uh, and then brokers fees can be outrageous. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you think, again, when you think of like a broker, they're really working not legally, but technically on behalf of the landlord right they're getting a landlord's unit filled right but they're a middleman yes so it kind of unnecessary i've never used a broker right i think <laughs> one it was like this is a month's worth of rent yeah so, no. help me find a i'm zillow. trying to think of i've used i know when i lived in new york i had to it was mm -hmm. like same thing it's first last security broker's fee mm -hmm. it's all the month yeah rent. see i don't do brokers because they do credit checks mm -hmm. and i'm 
my permanent record is not going to pass any of the broker's checks for anything. So I just find desperate people on Craigslist I mean, who need to fill that sublease mm. and then just stay there. <laughs> um, but usually it is still first, last, and security, mm -hmm. and that's usually a month's rent. But that's like, what, I pay, I actually have a pretty good deal. I pay six sixty now. Mm. Um, so that's like, that's a lot of money, though. Like, Yeah, and even of, if, like, for a good deal, you kind of feel locked in. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. good luck finding something that good, you know, elsewhere that you would want to live. Yeah, so right. It's not... <laughs> I mean, it's a good deal, but it's also like kind of restricted freedom. I feel the same way in my current apartment. Yeah, like I can't save, like considering my utilities mm. are off the charts. I can't right. really save any money um, trying to, you know, find another place. Plus, moving stressful. Moving is expensive. Moving is so expensive. <sighs> I actually like to move. No. Oh. I, um, <laughs> I, I do like task rabbit on the side. Mm. Like I just, I mean, one, I get paid more helping people move than I do like educating children mm. or what I currently do is... A disaster relief mm -hmm. with like senior citizens people with disabilities the market values my ability to help you move more mm -hmm. that's just one of my overall critiques of capitalism he picks but, things up and puts yeah. them down and i'm really good at it so <laughs> anyone out there hit me up i got a 100 percent review on task Grab. there you go um i just was about to go into another iana presley thing i'm going to pause it because it has to do with looking at people's files and she had a recent interview today about um her uh, Oh, let's just go into it now. So we were just going uh, talking about the eviction ceiling, basically mm -hmm. saying that it's wrong that landlords or what's even more gross where you brought up like third party entities mm -hmm. that search through oh, a renter's history right. to make and sure just exclude them off the bat yeah. without looking into the details. But um, it's a massive problem that people who have uh, gone through the criminal justice system mm -hmm. they don't go through now they don't pass quarry checks, mm -hmm. and so now you have somebody who is trying to rebuild their life, and now they're having like destabilized housing because they mm -hmm. can't get it. Is there anything in your uh, tenant bill of rights that would make it so people who have, quote unquote, paid their debt to a society mm -hmm. can actually find a place to live without that being a big burden? Yeah, I don't think we have anything in there now, but if you want to send me more information, can I think every policy that? document should be a living document that uh, should be updated with more information. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, yeah, the um, IANA connection was because... Um, one of the, her major pieces of legislation mm -hmm. is about, I'm going to call it criminal justice reform. I yeah, the people's a, justice guarantee. Yes. And uh, she had an interview, might have been today actually, that I was listening to. And it, uh, a lot of it had to do with this. Mm -hmm. Her experience growing up having to like, you know, visit her father in jail and just how destabilizing it is for people not just to go through that, but even mm -hmm. afterwards because of all these barriers that we put right. on people. It's, yeah, it's extremely hard to get your life together after that. Yeah. Um, and I mean, You know, I've been crafty. There's always Craigslist. There's always, you know, like ways of getting around it, um, which uh, you can have, give advice. You know, when I give advice to people, it's like I've had great luck on it um, with dumps. But it's luck. Housing shouldn't yes. be luck. Housing yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I have to manually flush my toilet sometimes. Um, but it's, it shouldn't be luck. It should be mm -hmm. a right. And especially for people who are looking at the wrong time or with mm -hmm. the wrong broker or whatever, like it can be, it can be like the most stressful thing in mm -hmm. the world when you're looking at homelessness yeah. and you don't find a place and like all your stuff's in your car because mm -hmm. you're not sure if you're going to get this last chance right. place. Like I've been through that so many times and I'm sure countless other people in Austin Brighton have. Um, Not to minimize what you just said, but manually flush your toilet versus what? With the flusher. Oh, like I have to oh, open up the tank oh. and like, like, like a clap on system. No, like, no. no. Yeah. Listen, my, 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 I, I have to manually flush. It. Like, 
Well, Sorry. What do you think we all do? Listen, listen. Okay, I've got like a 14 button motion activated bidet. So I, act that, I actually uh, have a friend that has a motion activated uh, toilet, like in the house. Mm. Like you wave your hand on the top. Oh. So for a second, I'm just like, Lauren doesn't have that. No, <laughs> no. you have to actually like remove the top of the tank sometimes and like jiggle the thing yeah. inside. Okay, that's like, a great. Just really to fix that. <laughs> I feel like I I can figure it out. I think it's just a build up, but. Um, like calcium or something. I don't know. Maybe if you want to add like a right to flush as part of yeah, a right to plumbing. Um, uh, a right to like you know actually one of the things that I don't know we can get as a kind of a tangent, but I had Mass Save come to my house mm. randomly yesterday and I got so much free stuff. Mm. It was awesome. Um, a right to like have a landlord that keeps up with like your boiler and your water heater and your insulation and so that you're not like paying up. Yeah, I think that really comes back to my first point around, like, a right to accessible right. and dignified housing is keeping yeah. your apartment up to code. Yeah, my heat if would go off randomly exactly. and I wake up freezing and have to, like, jiggle the thing and turn it up to 80. Right, to and that's, it, like, not right. really super habitable. Well, it's also really not efficient. <laughs> right. So then later on, when your heating bill comes, it's way more because mm -hmm. your house went down to 50 mm -hmm. and then you had to heat it back up and... uh I mean, Austin Brighton has a lot of old buildings. A lot. Let's a be lot. real. Like it's 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 hard. It's it, you know it almost you would almost need like sort of some. You we would need almost more funding for like upgrades than from the state or from the city or something mm -hmm. to do that because it there's so much old stuff like not to be like oh the poor landlords, but it it's a crisis also it's yeah just, and like, things are falling apart landlords who yeah. only own a few units so like yeah. keep everything up to code and refurbished yeah um so i, I sympathize with that yeah. i think the state should definitely provide funds as part of like a green new deal for the state should be a lot of refurbishing old housing to make yeah. it more eco-friendly because these issues are tied yeah and exactly. you can't really have that without like rent control and just cause because if you may have a landlord without those protections who would refurbish their house with these fundings from the state and then Raise your rent. Right. Because it's a better quality housing. Right. So. And so all that state money went to getting some richer tenant in exactly. to pay a higher rent. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, with all those old houses come a lot mm -hmm. of, uh, of problems. Um, what else do we have? I was gonna say I was just looking at the time, and I'm, and I definitely want to be respectful of your time because we can probably stay on housing for the entire time you're We're here. Probably good. Let me just make one more pitch on zoning reform. <laughs> okay. Go oh yeah. All of this more. really feasible. Okay. Um, you can't really have a lot of the things that we're talking about without zoning reform statewide um because you know, the onus has really been on boston to build its way out of the housing crisis <laughs> even though it's a crisis that impacts everyone statewide while a lot of wealthier whiter suburbs get away with building little to no multifamily housing or in fact restrict it um it's a huge problem have to have zoning reform especially if you want social housing for massachusetts and i very much do all right um Social housing was something brought up by Kane. Oh, uh, no, Michael Kane was talking about Vienna. Oh yeah, Vienna is like definitely the best model I think we have out there for like mixed income social housing. Yeah, and it's like pretty nice. Yeah, it's I think most people in Vienna live in social housing. That's cool. Do you want to uh, flesh that out a little bit more in terms of like mixed income? What do you mean by that? I uh, just being what is the Venetian system? Mm -hmm. I don't know all the specifics of the Vienna system. I'm too nervous. <laughs> um, but um, in contrast to what we've really thought about as public housing in America for so many decades, um, which has really kind of concentrated poverty in a lot of instances, uh, mixed income housing in Vienna, it just has different income levels of people from middle class, lower class. So we have a lot of um, socioeconomic, you know, integration. 
which is right. good for everyone. Yeah. And what is it like two thirds of housing? I believe so. Yeah, is in Vienna is social. Mm-hmm. is what they refer to as social. What again here we might call public. public. Yep. And um, I think that's a great idea. Like for me, once we get into that level of discourse, it's almost like I kind of consider it like the Medicare for all discourse. Right. It's just like it's yeah, a public option. For yeah, housing. and and like you can discuss the differences between like the NHS in England mm-hmm. versus like the France's uh, like welfare safety net. Mm-hmm. Those are great distinctions. So like I want Boston to get into a place where like what we're mm-hmm. discussing is like should we use the uh, Venetian model or like the Swedish? <laughs> right. Like yeah, like let's have that debate. Like, like that stuff is well, awesome. Yeah. But first, I think, me up. I think Finland. I just saw an article ended homelessness this year. Yeah. I think with a housing first policy. Yeah. yeah. So like there is so much uh, like things that we can draw from. Right? Mm-hmm. It, it is very frustrating still being in the hurdle of just saying that a human being deserves housing. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, for me, we're like, we still are. Right. And, and this one's kind of personal for me on social housing. My dad grew up in public housing in Medford. So this safety net was there for my family. It's the reason we're still here. Um, Which one? Uh, Riverside Ave. Oh, word. Yeah. I used to live near that. So. Oh, no worries. <laughs> I lived in a few places in Medford. So. Medford's great. Yeah, I know. Medford. Um, what are your thoughts just looking at the two? I was saying with housing, I can't help it right now. I know. <laughs> um, what are your thoughts on Charlie Baker's housing bill to reduce the city council votes from mm-hmm. two thirds to a. I to think it's, it's necessary, but not sufficient. When you think of like what we really need in terms of a housing justice agenda, it's a puzzle piece that fits into the larger, you know, portrait. So again, it just really comes down to compelling or allowing other cities and towns statewide to build more housing. So we need it, but it's not enough in and of itself. So his, his plan is just like build more, build our way out of it. It helps Same like way. cities and towns like uh, overhaul their zoning to, I think, what is it right now? A lot of them are two thirds majorities that you need. It breaks down like in half. Okay. So it just makes it easier for cities and towns to fix their zoning. Okay. Which is so, so necessary. Yeah. That's... No, yeah, exactly. Like that sounds great. Um, like, yeah, it should just be easier to build it, but something, I, one of the reasons I've been very critical um, of it, and I know G even uh, last mm-hmm. week was as well, is if that is the only thing you do, then cities and towns will only build mm-hmm. for what will increase their tax base, yeah, because that, right. and, and they will just go to luxury housing. So yeah. it does not fix the issue of affordability. Mm-hmm. Right. It just makes it easier to build more luxury. Right. Which, I don't know. No, yeah. You're right. You're right. We've talked about it. Um, but I did want to go back to the last two points in his plan because they're good. All right. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Right to purchase. Yeah. I'm um, excited about this one. Yes. Yeah, I saw it um, happen today too. Yeah. In Oakland. Oh, I didn't see that. Oh, with the moms for housing. Yes. I did see that. Yeah. Yeah. There's like a, a tab on my laptop open about that full story that I've been I meaning know. to get to. There's been a lot happening oh, today. Yeah. But what is this? So our listeners can understand. Yeah. So tenant that. right to purchase or tenant opportunity to purchase um, pretty much allows if your landlord is selling the building or a unit that you are renting, it gives you the right of first refusal to buy it at market value or match a third party offer. Um, or you can assign your rights to a nonprofit and then keep that unit affordable. So is this, would that only apply to housing or could it apply to um, artist spaces? I would love virtual private spaces. Because That's imagine a really if a nonprofit, right imagine if a nonprofit had bought, like, if we had come together and got a nonprofit to buy EMF mm-hmm. and save us, uh, like rug some, road. yeah, rug road, mm-hmm. some sort of arts council type yeah. thing that would buy it, that has the money and mm-hmm. the grants or whatever to buy that and keep it for us, and like, it's really important for housing, especially because tons of people are getting kicked mm-hmm. out to put up luxury 
whatever. Yeah. Um, but your but, point is good, especially an artist, because we see so many artists getting displaced and pushed out of Austin Brighton, even yeah. though artists is a, are really what make our neighborhood so unique and yeah. so vibrant. Yeah. So sometimes need... so messy too. I mean, you know. <laughs> but I love it. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know, do we really want to live in a city without a soul? Um, nope. At the end of the day. <laughs> I do not. Right. Uh, and so, I mean, I would love to see that even expanded upon to not just apply mm -hmm. for housing. I know that it's the most important thing to yeah. house people so they have homes. But from a personal level, like if we could do that when developers buy our cool spaces so yeah. we can like, have a place to and be. If you want to send me more info on that, if you have any more resources, let me know. Okay, cool. I will. This nerd life does not do it. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. Um, if we have anything left in Austin. <laughs> And then one of the um, last bits on here, the last the last little piece of the plan was the right to enforcement. Mm -hmm. I don't usually like that word. Yeah, um, I think of enforcement <laughs> as like uh, advocacy or legal aid. Like okay. we were talking about with um, Newark's Office of Tenant Legal Services, it would just be, in my imagining, an office that would have the power to enforce tenant rights. Okay. To help really put the full force of the law behind correcting that power imbalance between landlords and tenants. So, like, they would sue people? I, it's still really just a big things. idea. Okay. So I'm not sure okay. how that would really work out. I know Newark is kind of what I was thinking of okay. as a model, and that's really mostly around their right to counsel. Okay. So cool. I think it would be mostly legal aid services, mm -hmm. in my imagining. Yeah. Because, like, we were talking about, there's so many nonprofits that are so underfunded. Right. Um, and they're not state-run. They're not, Exactly. Like, and they're not statewide, either. Right. So. Sometimes they're not even city-wide. Right. They're just neighborhood-wide. Um, well, like, what we were talking before, like, it's one thing to have the right on paper, mm -hmm. but if you don't, if you, if it's, like, mm -hmm. you need to also have a pipeline then to use that. Right. right. And, and a lot of that really entails money and time. Yes. And know-how. Right. Is, Meaning you need paid staff mm -hmm. that are there available for people like when they're able to make mm -hmm. it to help them navigate like this web of laws that exactly. we've somehow constructed. Um, so overall, this plan, um, this is pretty far to the left of uh, Kevin Honan, yeah. I would say, <laughs> I um, would say. <laughs> uh, which I, I, and, you know, I guess, um, has have you heard anything or any responses or any sort of no this we dropped this right the day before the rent control right. hearing so people i guess have been busy yeah right <laughs> right because it is pretty uh pretty expansive mm -hmm. um and i encourage everyone to look into it deeper i linked it in the um i linked it in the chat and then <laughs> lean age is lean age and like who the hell is jordan meeting <laughs> <laughs> Who the hell is Lee Nave Jr.? Do you uh, support uh, Mike Connolly's uh, housing bill? Totally support. Yeah. I think it's a great, a necessary first step. I think we should definitely move towards statewide rent control, but we have to. We'll get nowhere without lifting the ban right. and providing local options. So while I was... So uh, call your legislators and tell them to support. And so going along with that, while um, I was thinking about this interview today and some of the things I wanted to ask you, I was looking up Honan, mm -hmm. and as we mentioned before, he's the chair of the housing mm -hmm. committee. When people ask me, do you think um, Connolly's housing bill is going to pass, I sit, tell people, I don't think it's going to make it out of committee. Mm -hmm. Looking that he's the chair of that committee mm -hmm. with the billers, because I know Act on Mass and a lot of other left groups have been telling mm -hmm. people, and if you're listening to this, Please look up to see if your, leg um, your legislator is on the housing committee and give them a call because I think the deadline's February 5th, 6th, 9th. Yeah, I think people want to aim to get the testimony and calls in by the end of the month. 
be safe. And a little bit of a light bulb went off to me and thinking that we have um, somebody who's great, who's challenging Honan, is there a way to leverage, and, and you can just simply say, I'm not going to comment on that, <laughs> but is there a way to leverage you running? And, and what I mean by that to say, if I'm in his district, mm -hmm. I would call his office and say, do you support this bill? And as chair, you must get this bill out of committee. Otherwise, I'm going to support the person who's challenging you because they will do this. I mean, you are free to do so. I think the best method is just to contact your legislator, be it Kevin Honan or anyone else in Mass, and tell them your reason why you support this bill. Um, because at the end of the day, rent control is about neighborhood stabilization, um, keeping communities safe and housed, and affirming housing as a human right. I think that's the most important argument to make. And I'm not going to have you say this, so I'm going to say it. <laughs> if, if this bill does not make it out of committee, and we do not know what legislators voted for it to get out of committee, meaning the actual General Assembly gets mm -hmm. to have a discussion on it. And have I, a roll call. We'll, we'll, and have a roll call meeting. It's recorded how you vote. If everyone's going to say that housing is one of the biggest, if not the top two biggest issues in Massachusetts, and your legislation doesn't even get to discuss it publicly, mm -hmm. I am going to blame him as chair of this committee. So he can either state publicly who voted for it or against it in the committee so that way we know who we can and cannot primary but if the status quo maintains which is these very important bills just die and we don't know what happened i don't think it's a stretch to say you blame the chair of that committee for not being transparent so i'm just going to say it publicly honan will be made held responsible if we this does not get out of committee so we have until the first week of february if you have not already um i'll, I'll drop the quick link that shows if your legislator is in the housing committee, give them a quick call. It takes three minutes, and somebody will answer. You yeah. will, you will get an aid. Like you'll be, it might throw you off because you think it's gonna go to voicemail. You will get somebody tell them to support that bill. Restate what I just said. And I would also encourage everyone to submit written testimony to the committee chairs as well as their legislator. That does make a difference. So when do we have till February? Um, let me look it up, but it's like the first. Okay. Week and so. if it dies in that committee, then it's all his fault. And yes. everybody vote for Jordan. I mean, unless it dies, and then, and then he comes out and says, listen, I voted for it. But I mean, that, either way. But either X, way, your housing plan's pretty good. Yeah. And you know, either way. I mean, I, I'm giving Honan a note right now, which is if this does die in committee, you have to at least then say... Uh, representative X, Y, Z, A, B, and C said no. Mm -hmm. uh, me and this person said yes, and that's why I failed. Okay. The, the, you at least went through a democratic process, mm -hmm. and we know how people vote. Name Minimal machine. expectations that I'm asking mm -hmm. people to do. But, okay, anything else on housing? Um, I mean, maybe, but uh, I wanted to briefly talk about the Green New Deal stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um, because I actually don't know that much about it, so let's give a little bit of a rundown on what, what that means to you and what you're working on mm -hmm. with that. Yeah, um, I think that th there's so much uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> to think about in the Green New Deal. We are going to work on our own Green New Deal platform, because um, as you can see, I do like a detailed policy platform. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, I don't know, where do you want to start on that? There's so there's it, so much. <laughs> it, in what you have, you know, um, you state your, your goal, 100% mm -hmm. renewable by 2035. Um, that's great. That's in accordance with the mm -hmm. timeline that a lot of people um, are shooting for. You then mentioned um, eliminate caps on net metering. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about net metering. Can you go into that? Oh, I don't know anything about okay. net metering. Yes. Let's go. Okay, so residential net We're metering. We're such nerds. <laughs> My God. <laughs> if you, um, this primarily, I think, impacts homeowners statewide. So if you have a house, uh, you want to put solar panels on it. Um, 
you can sell that excess power that you generate, say you generate more than you use, oh, yeah. you can sell the excess back to the utilities for, you know, a profit to yourself. Yeah. My dad does that. Right. So um, there's caps on, I think, in every city, municipality, statewide that say you can only sell back X amount um, before you hit your net metering cap. Oh. Um, so if we're seeing a few cities and towns right now um, that are hitting those caps, and then it's disincentivizing folks from getting residential solar, because if you can't sell back excess power, you, you know, why bother? Um, so in 2018, there was a bill in the Senate that would have gotten us to 100% renewable by 2050, I believe, and also eliminated these caps on net metering, which is really important because I don't, I don't think people realize that we lost... I don't know why there's a cap in the first place. Because utilities. Oh. <laughs> We need, we need utility Because we'd all be making our own power. Exactly. That's great. It is great. <laughs> it's basically like denying free power. Well, right. like... <laughs> it's cutting into utility profits, so therefore... Yes. Oh. Um, so this bill in 2018 uh, would have done all that. Then it got gutted in the House. They removed that um, that part about eliminating caps on net metering. Uh, and then a watered-down energy bill passed. Okay. But um, over the course of a year, I think from 2017 to 2018, we actually lost statewide 25% of our solar uh, industry jobs in a year. Insane. Because of the cap? Uh, because of the caps, because of dis uh, different incentives that have been, you know, kind of gutted or okay. removed. Because um, I know there's whole host been tax reasons. breaks for mm -hmm. solar panel installations in the beginning that people... I think were... a lot of those got removed by Trump and... Trump and Baker. Yes. Well... That's terrible because solar panels just keep getting better and better. And cheaper. And yeah. cheaper and cheaper. Yeah. And they're all being manufactured in China. <laughs> Which, again, it's not too late. We could become a power center in that um, manufacturing uh, yeah. development. but Certainly could. Yeah. But all, yeah, all the federal subsidies that mm -hmm. were going towards that were all cut. But mm -hmm. I didn't... Um, do you know more about Baker cutting those as well? Uh, off the top of my head, I can't remember the specific names. Um, I can send you an op-ed that I wrote around the time that that bill... Yeah. came out uh, that had more info on that. It was in Dick Boston. Shout out to Dick Boston. Oh, Great. yeah. Great. Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to talk to him at some <laughs> point soon. I keep forgetting. Um, those are friends of the show. Um, <laughs> but yeah, when we imagine like a Green New Deal, that has to be like yeah. front and center. Uh, that and raising the um, renewable portfolio standard, uh, which is like the amount that the state is required to have in renewable energy. It's supposed to increase by a certain percentage every year. Um, I think right now they raised it from 1% to 2% for the next few years. And it's going to go back down to 1% in this bill that passed in 2018. So on that timeline, we'll get to 100% renewables by like 2095. Oh yeah. Perfect. Um, so yeah. Just in time. That, that's just in accordance. <laughs> yep. By with, then, with um, Alston will be C, uh, secret property. How, how expensive would this be to ramp up that percentage though? I don't think it really costs the state directly. It just compels utilities to get the next amount of of their power from renewable sources, however. Okay. And so what's, like, just what's the downside? The, what's the holdup? Yeah. Great question. <laughs> great question. I think we should definitely ramp up to 5% and yeah. get there as fast as possible. Yeah. But it's, it's not just that. It's utility reform that needs to go through. In Washington State, uh, actually, Jay Inslee, um, they passed a big omnibus climate bill, uh, I think this year or last year, that um, kind of reformulates how utilities are structured. So instead of like a return on capital, it kind of goes back to a return on um, other metrics. Like okay. you reward you reward utilities for getting clean energy goals instead of like putting things in the ground. Okay. And hitting like a social cost of carbon. Um, right. You know. 
Uh, one big thing uh, that DSA has been involved with mm -hmm. in 2019 from the Take Back the Grid campaign mm -hmm. is uh, pushing and making people more aware of municipal control yep. over utilities. Would you consider making that part of your platform? Absolutely. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, because, you know, like um, our eco-socialism group, mm -hmm. like they would talk about this idea and it's something I've never really heard of and I looked into it. And I guess there's already 40 cities and towns in Massachusetts. With Community Choice Energy. With, with Community yep. Choice Energy, uh, they pay less and it's better service. Yep. I think Boston passed it uh, on the city council. I'm not sure what the implementation looks like right now, but I'm pretty sure it's being slow walked as yeah. far as I know. Yeah. Take back the grid controls. Mm -hmm. but I, I don't know what percentage of our energy comes from take back the grid. But, mm -hmm. uh, I'm sorry, our national grid. But yeah. it's um, very substantial. But right. uh, that's great. Municipal yeah. control. And we can't like talk about a green deal without talking about environmental justice. Um, it's a hugely undersung issue. What does that mean? I mean, just uh, when you, oh, that's a that's a big topic. <laughs> um, uh, a lot of communities of color are saddled with, disproportionately saddled with environmental burdens and toxins in their communities. Mm -hmm. So I think a big solution that you've seen by Senator Jamie Eldridge um, would be to create uh, a supplemental environmental project bank, which would be to take um, environmental polluters, the fines that they would pay just into the state, into a bank, to use that to fund environmental justice projects in those communities. Awesome. To help, you know, again, reset the power imbalance. I just saw an article come out today about, uh, I guess that um, a lot of lower income neighborhoods in the city are actually like measurably hotter mm -hmm. yeah. than like the neighborhoods that have trees. Yeah. Heat island effect. <laughs> There's is, a heat a islands. Thing. Like I didn't know about this, but this is a huge thing. It's mm -hmm. like basically. Tree canopy back over in those areas is much lower. Yeah. And I mean, that means they're paying a lot more for their air conditioning. Yeah. And you know, it's a, it's a quality of life issue. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if that would go to helping people like in those situations, mm -hmm. um, or what the solution is. I actually don't know that much about the, something I would stuff. like to see as part of a community deal for mass would be to create like a statewide conservation core, similar to the new deal effort. Um, the civilian conservation core, you see that in a few States like Montana, California, they have these state programs that help employ younger people, I think 18 to 25 and up to 29 to veterans, to do this conservation work. And I think something like that could be like a statewide tree planting initiative, especially in those EJ communities that are suffering disproportionately from heat island effect. Right. And um, that could help. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why that's, that doesn't seem that hard. <laughs> that seems pretty doable. Um, I also, you know, I guess we can't really talk about uh, the Green New Deal without getting into transportation just a little. Like electrified regional rail. Oh, what's, what is that? That sounds oh, nice. Oh boy, let's talk about regional rail for a quick second. <laughs> um, so regional rail would reimagine our commuter rail system um, to make it more frequent, cleaner, and more reliable. If anyone's ever tried to take a commuter rail oh, on the weekend, man. like, do you have two hours worth between trains? Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Um, so under, like, regional rail uh, from the Transit Matters uh, reports, they would transform that frequency to every 15 minutes at least within the city of Boston and every half hour um, elsewhere in the network to make it, you know, much more reliable, faster, uh, more frequent. That'd be amazing. Yeah. And also electrifying the system. Because transportation is, I think, the number one source of CO2 emissions in mass and nationwide. So, And it's not even very good. Exactly. I mean, I, I, I take commuter rail to see my brother. I take mm -hmm. it from Boston Landing out to Worcester. Right. I take it from, well, I actually go to Belmont to go to Boxford, my parents' house. And yeah, you definitely don't want to miss that train. No. Or you're missing Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get there. And especially like Alston Brighton, that means building West Station now, not pushing it off to 2040 like the Baker administration is trying to do. 
because we need that now. Where is West Station? That would be um, in Alston by the I-90 exit by, do you know, um, North, by North Harvard and Cambridge Street? That, yeah. That area around there where they're realigning the pike. Okay. And so there's a rail yard there right now. And West Station will be a proposed commuter rail stop um, oh. after Boston Landing. Oh, which nice. is necessary because if you know that area, it's developing rapidly and it's developing yeah. now. And by 2040, it'll be overdeveloped. Yeah. Especially because Harvard's buying a halt so much land over there. They're developing very fast. And if we don't have transit options to develop alongside that, we'll end up as Seaport 2.0. And no one wants that. I, uh, it's unsustainable. Yeah. Traffic yeah. there is bad enough. Yeah. So. Yeah. There's going to be a ton of traffic issues in Austin, Brighton. Yeah. I know. Um, I know that, you know, I, I actually live fairly close to Boston Landing. And I mean, minor complaint, but can they do something about the wind tunnel? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, can they just build a few things to block <laughs> the wind while I'm waiting an hour for the train because I missed the first one? Like, um, uh, it's a plastic wall like a just something because <laughs> i have like almost like frozen to death waiting on that platform behind the stop and shop mm -hmm. um we always have the knack of holding people longer than we promise to get you out that's um, we're, we're geeking out fantastic <laughs> because whenever we start talking about things like we have to expand like you know west station also mm -hmm. right but we need to have electric regional rail the next question is well how are you gonna pay for it Oh, there's so many ways. So, um, you know, Charlie Baker has been talking a lot, like, as part of his TCI, mm -hmm. which seems to be unfolding, having a gas tax or having congestion pricing. Mm -hmm. Are those measures that you would consider, or do you have other ideas in terms of revenue? I think there are more progressive revenue streams that we could be looking at. I think TCI is a great way to go about it because it targets um, corporations a lot more than, like, individuals. Um, but I don't think you need to rely solely on, like, a gas tax or congestion pricing. Um, to fund these projects. There's um, reports out for, like, by Mass Budget is a really good example. They released a report about, I think, 12 or 13 progressive revenue streams that the state could look into for funding transportation and education. Um, like, you could raise taxes on C corporations, big corporations that aren't paying their fair share. Couldn't you, like, tax all the colleges, too, and make them pay? I'm not starting that debate again. <laughs> <laughs> I remember what happened with Jacob's office in 2018. <laughs> we talk about our reforming like the pilot system wow. uh, here a lot. And then do you support the fair share amendment? Yes, absolutely. That would bring in, I think, over $2 billion a year by just asking millionaires to pay their fair share in income taxes in the state. Not asking for much. Which I think even that is like a 2% increase. I think it's graduated, I think, from like 2 to 4% based on how wealthy you are. So there are so many options that you can get massive amounts of sustainable progressive revenue from without putting the onus and burden on the working class and poor, like we've been doing for so long. I'm pretty sure the number of millionaires in Cambridge recently went up. So. How Is many it... millionaires are there in Austin now? Um, <laughs> probably, probably more than we think. Maybe. Like That's the thing. More, more than we think. They're not going to the places that I go. In yeah, I know. I, sure. don't, I don't I, see any millionaires at the silhouette I, I, model. I'd sure <laughs> love to meet them. I don't know. Maybe I should uh, stop by the New Balance area more often. Um, but so that all sounds pretty good. Um, was there anything? So we brought it up in the beginning, but because we have you here and it is your expertise, um, can you just reset? Can you tell us again um, your day job? What do you do in terms of advocating for LGBTQ youth here in Boston? Yeah, so my job is with the Commission on LGBTQ Youth as their policy coordinator. Um, so in that role, I do a lot of state policy work around youth homelessness, juvenile justice, um, education, GSA work, um, 
and interfacing with a bunch of state agencies and entities to just further better the lives of queer youth statewide and all the ways that they interact with state government. So and it's, it's broad. I feel like I'm talking to people from different elements of the state all the time. <laughs> and what would you say are some of the biggest issues facing um, queer youth uh, in Massachusetts today? Family acceptance is a big one. That's the leading driver of homelessness, which ends up being the leading driver of justice involvement. So there's not really a slam dunk silver bullet for family acceptance work. It's a lot of, you know, organizing and coalitions and working one-on-one -on -one with families. Those um, families but... need to get it together. I don't know. Like, <laughs> just... so but I... you're seeing a lot with, especially <laughs> nowadays around trans youth and gender non-conforming yeah. youth. Um, so family acceptance is probably the biggest. Right. Uh, it's so important. It's because... massive. Yeah, I, I think I read one study, which was um, uh, LGBTQ youth maybe make up somewhere between like 10 to 15 percent mm -hmm. of people in Massachusetts. Correct me if that number is yep. wrong, but they account for almost one third, 40 percent of homeless. Yep, about 25 percent of homelessness in Massachusetts, I believe, is queer youth. That's a rough estimate. What is youth? Probably higher. Uh, it depends on how you determine it. Um, a lot of estimates run up to like 24 That's or young. That's young. Yeah. And uh, family acceptance, if I guess in your professional opinion, you would say might be like the number one like, kind of it's a driving big, it's factor for that? It's probably the biggest driver, I think. Um, a lot around school acceptance as well. Um, I think a big way to solve that is around curriculum. Um, the, the Healthy Youth Act right now just got approved by the Senate for, I think, the fourth time. Literally the next um, thing I was about to bring up is um, the sexual um, education mm -hmm. bill. Um, can you go into that? Uh, yeah, so the Healthy Youth Act um, doesn't mandate sex ed in schools in mass. Um, but it does mandate the schools that do teach sex ed, teach education curriculum that's inclusive, um, LGBTQ inclusive, scientifically accurate, um, you know, basic, basic things. Teach your children. How frustrating is it? You know, like we, we have to put into legislation, you must teach scientifically accurate things. Like, but it, we're very it, progressive. And then, it, and then it keeps failing. <laughs> Four times. I know. Like, ju just teach like, the so like something accurate. Fail, vote no. Yeah, it also God, it's so frustrating. It also increases like parental like rights and information that like helps parents know what's going on in schools. So I don't know. It passed the Senate, thank God. It should pass the House. While you're calling your legislator on rent control, tell them to support the Health Youth Act as well, please. Can you please tell them to like let teachers teach accurate things in the classroom. Yep. Um, Not really asking for the moon. Yeah, that stuff is so frustrating. Um, that's great. Was your uh, commission, were you like, get, get to consult on that legislation or did you have any involvement? Uh, we, or... our role is mostly on education um, and building awareness. It's like more of our mandate. We do work with a lot of coalitions um, on a lot of issues like this, but our like specific role is mostly around education and awareness instead of like, we, we, we don't do lobbying, for example. Right. Right. And um, I mean, I know that I always considered Massachusetts a fairly, you know, liberal towards um, gay stuff type of state. Uh, we just outlawed conversion therapy last year. Yeah, right. Like that's, I, you know, like I guess I guess we're behind on a bunch of things. You know who like, to that? Who? Utah. Oh. I know. Oh. Yeah, not great. Mitt Romney got there. That's what happened. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That's crazy. So there is still a lot of, a lot of, you know, because I feel like for, you know, little sis me, a lot of that stuff, mm -hmm. I don't realize what's going on sometimes mm -hmm. because it's just not really, you know. I'm the just, assumption is that things are okay. Yeah. Like and straight, so gay pride. It's almost like straight pride. Ugh. No, <laughs> no, that was not fun. Gay pride is fun. And everybody, all my friends that are gay, everybody's cool. And like, it's nobody 
seems to have mm -hmm. like issues with it, but it actually, do you think this disproportionately, like this homelessness issue too, affects people that are poor? Oh, absolutely. Like acceptance in yes. families. hundred percent. So it's like a double whammy mm -hmm. because, you know, I grew up in the suburbs and like mm -hmm. the GSA was like the cool thing to do. Right. Um, I love that. <laughs> yeah, no, it was great. It was fun. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was, I mean, I wasn't gay, so I, I don't know what went on behind closed doors or, you know, I can't speak for everybody, but for my outsider opinion of it, you know, like the kids were cool and everybody mm -hmm. was, you know, fairly accepting, but I was also in acting box bread. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I would imagine that a lot of the, do you see a lot of the homelessness and youth is affecting people that are poor? Yeah, absolutely. Very disproportionately. So it's like a, yeah. Okay. So that makes, that makes sense. I don't know. I'm just curious. So if you have, if you're being rejected by your family and your school, you don't really have the resources of the safety net right. that you would if you were in a wealthy community. Right. And do you think that the education is worse? In oh, in schools? those school districts? Definitely. So thankfully we've passed the, yeah. some education reform this <laughs> <Yeah>. year. <laughs> Finally. Yeah, it's kind of scary. <laughs> Call your legislators. Please. Increasing sexual education <laughs> has zero drawbacks. You get to Literally learn how zero. to put a condom on a banana. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> Teaching abstinence actually increases um, teen STIs pregnancy. And teen pregnancies. Not great. <laughs> Please follow science. There is, yeah, <laughs> it's so rare that you have like a 0% negative for anything. Mm -hmm. This is one of those things. Pass yep. sexual, sexual education reform. Um, those are all my questions. I'm sure we could hold you to talk about different legislators and try to get you to go on record to bash people. But how can people find you? How can people support you guys? Yeah, uh, I'm, I live on Twitter, so you can definitely find me on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Campaign account is at Jordan for MA. So that's Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N-F-O-R-M-A. And the website is Jordan for MA.com. You have swag yet? Not yet. Can you get some swag? Because what should you, the swag be? I don't know. But you've had, you've like posted me. some pretty great stuff <laughs> that you've like had. Like I've no, like, I've like always like Jordan has the best stuff. You got like that like billionaire <laughs> tears mug and the okay landlord shirt. That's a great shirt. Oh, I think that's I should have wore it today. I know. I, 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 you know what? We gotta maybe we can get somebody to make some at the silkscreen party or something. I don't that's know. A good but, idea. Uh, I would like to have you know some housing as human right T-shirts. Like, yeah. Yeah, like, or, you know, even, like, kind of a funny way. I don't know. But I definitely think you need to get some swag. Some more rat-based swag. Yeah, more rat time. swag. More yeah. rat swag. I will wear that all day. At our renter's roundtable, actually, we had a local artist, Sarah Iwani, uh, who designed a poster for us. It was a bunch of rats around the table. Yeah. Um, you know, talking about policy. There you go. Why yeah. Yeah. local artists. Yeah. Embrace the... The Embrace rat the motif. Rats. I, think, <laughs> I think that can be, uh, that's, uh, that's a good, uh, good, uh, logo or whatever. Um, Are you the only swag. primary challenger? Yes. Okay. And I believe the first one in 34 years. So the ooh. first one in 34 years? First oh, no one's even taking a swing at it? Not that I know of. Not in the ballot. So. Wow. Um, all right. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. So um, are we endorsing them? Well, it's not my show. And I don't, I'm endorsing Jordan. Yes. I, I, I don't use the E word because I guess me into trouble. Evan, Evan has all kinds of, of uh, things he's accountable to. And he's got these like gods and masters and, you know, organizations that control what he does. But I don't. I am my own organization. And I endorse Jordan Meehan for Suffolk District State Rep District. Wait, 17th. 17th. <laughs> Sorry. I'm like, uh, well, thank you it. so much. Yeah, no, amazing. I'm pretty excited to see a lot of the points brought up in the housing plan. Let us, uh, we'll be following your campaign. Let us know how you can get involved. Um, I really like the challenge you're putting up for Kevin Honan, and I would like to see 
um, more progress on all these issues. So I appreciate you coming on, being a guest, and maybe in the future you can come back. Uh, absolutely, once I have swag. Yes, bring come up. bring us swag. <laughs> um, so the website, once again, yeah, is Jordan for MA.com. Yep, and people can donate. Yep, they can donate, they and can set up to volunteer. One thing we're really trying to push right now is translation to get this policy document into more languages cool. to make it more accessible to everyone cool. in our neighborhood because we have a lot of immigrants. Right. We want to be more welcoming and inclusive. Okay. So, so if you know how to translate, uh, check that out. Do you have any events you're doing, fundraisers, anything you want to Um, I think coming up, we're doing a transit roundtable soon okay. um, to talk about, similar to the Renters Roundtable, um, just to imagine a better transit policy. Cool. So you're like kind of having this like open source, open. Yeah, I think it's important to have community members at the table for making policy. <laughs> you know, Who would quote, think? To quote Ayanna Presley, <laughs> the people closest to the pain should be closest to the power, driving and informing the policy. Awesome. I oh. take that to heart very strongly. Yeah, I can see so. that. That's that's really good. Uh, I mean, honestly, my work schedules have permitted me to be there, but I'm glad someone's actually doing that mm. instead of top down policy making. Yeah. And if um, folks want to host a house party or a meet and greet, okay, you know, let us know. Sounds good. Um, oh God, you mentioned Diana Presley again. Now I can go all like another fifteen <laughs> minutes of just like. I know, right? I feel that. I know. What we're gonna we're gonna limit ourselves because I need to use the ladies' room. <laughs> we're gonna take a quick break. All right. Um. Yeah, we're gonna take a big, quick break. We'll be right back. Thank um, you again for coming on. Thank you for having me. Thank you for endorsing me. Thank you so much <laughs> for running. I can't wait to see what happens and keep me posted. I absolutely will. Awesome. Um, All right, I'm going to break. Do we have a cruising out song? No, we don't. Harvey, <laughs> you're gonna have to just sing while you click cancel. We'll be back for later. <laughs>